0: Not a matter of if, but when, crisis could rock your world. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real world crisis. My crisis squad and I seek solutions. We also turn to professionals who enable us to learn from the sins of our past. Today, that insider is attorney and political historian, Steve Yock. His latest book, Becoming Benedict Arnold gives us a first person perspective into the life of the United States' most infamous traitor. We dive into the case file I call With Me or Against Me. Steve, you describe Benedict Arnold as an uncompromising politician. That historical narrative finds parallels in today's political landscape. First, give us some background about Benedict.
1: He started out as a fervent patriot. He was a member of the Committees of Correspondence. He went to the First Continental Congress. He was also a very successful entrepreneur. His father had fallen on tremendously hard times, and he overcame them and built a small fleet of ships and had a series of stores. So he was a really remarkable and laudable guy to start with, and that made him one of the logical leaders early on in the revolution as it started.
0: And it's so interesting that becoming Benedict Arnold, you took the first-person perspective. Why and how difficult or easy was that to even write?
1: Why I did it was because it really hadn't been done much before. Uh, There was one done in about 1900, which was not a great book. Um, And a long time ago. Right. And so it hadn't been done. Second is hearing from a trader's perspective I thought was fascinating, getting into his head— And understanding how he thought took me a while. Where George Washington, it was fairly easy to understand how George thought in my first book. Benedict, he's a more complicated guy. But once I got there, it was really fun and and I think also gives a very different perspective.
0: And as you say, he didn't start out as a traitor. So you kind of got to introduce us to him and yourself as Benedict in that real fervent patriot standpoint. So as we go along here and we know what Benedict Arnold became, and really when we think of the term traitor, we think of him, there are similarities in how Benedict Arnold viewed his friends and enemies compared with today's politicians. What are some parallels you see?
1: I always think of him as very binary. It's like, as you said in your title, he's either with us or against us. He was utterly uncompromising because of a very overblown sense of honor in no small part because his father had lost his honor, in Benedict's view, he became sort of a drunken wharf rat. Thus, anything he did that he viewed that would be a compromise of his honor was unacceptable. That uncompromising nature of who he became in his core is, I think, an unfortunate parallel to what we have in today's society. Many of our politicians, especially on the extreme, view any compromise as a, a forfeiting their principles. And, of course, that's not what the American Republic was founded on, right? We were founded on compromise. But Benedict never saw that. And I think many of our politicians now don't see that either. And that is both the tragedy of Benedict and the tragedy of our life now.
0: In past case files on the crisis files, other guests have shared with me that they blame some of this on the media and not that the media covers it in an X, Y, or Z way, but more just because the media is there. And I would say specifically, you know, what I am more of now, a talk show host. So the pundits, the people that editorialize, do you feel like that has contributed, you know, or when in your research would you say there was a turnoff where we got to this uncompromising situation? Because you and I were both alive when Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House, Ronald Reagan was President. We were young, but... You hear of times when, you know, both sides of the aisle would go have a drink, they'd talk things through, they could be civil to one another, and we rarely hear those stories now.
1: It's interesting. First of all, the press then, during the revolution, was incredibly aggressive. I mean, Hamilton and Jefferson, for example, wrote just awful things about each other in the press, their personal lives, their honor, everything else. So we all can have this illusion that that it was gentlemanly, excuse the phrase, because that was sexist then. That is the way they interacted outside. And yet in the wonderful play Hamilton, Jefferson and Hamilton managed to be in the room where it happened and work out the great compromise. And so while then they certainly did not get along in the media, it contributed greatly to their antagonism towards each other. I think they were able to set that aside for the country, for the good of the country and the good of the republic and for what they all understood they were building, which is a new land, a new republic based on a new ideal. I think the next time in American history, we see this utter uncompromising period is, of course, leading up to the Civil War. Right. I can't agree with you. And therefore, ultimately, I'm going to go to war. The post-World War II consensus that you and I, when we were young, was still part of what it was in the 70s and the 80s. Those were cold warriors and baby boomers that Reagan and and Tip, they're gone now. I think now, both the media and a lack of consensus has led to that same uncompromising period we have saw, I think, most notably around the Civil War. In the Revolution, they hated each other, but they still worked out deals.
0: Right. And I think you really hit it in at that time. There might have been great hatred. People are people. People have feelings. And, you know, frankly, they can be asses. They can be angels. But they made the country perhaps because it was the formative time of the United States of America. They put the country first. And right now we're seeing so many politicians put themselves first, not even their constituents. They put themselves first. And really, if you have the title of U.S. Congressperson or U.S. Senator, it's not even your state. It's the entire country you're supposed to be representing and looking out for. And I would say, as now a commentator and a political scientist, my background studies, we just don't see that anymore.
1: There are still some folks in the middle that are trying.
0: Right. Right. But, and I applaud those. Right. Types. right.
1: But I think when I look at Jefferson and Hamilton, who are the best examples of extremes, right? They had an utterly different worldview on what America should be. Jefferson was an agrarian state-based economy, and and Hamilton was a centralized government focusing ultimately on industry and finance. So they had a different view of America. They had a different view of democracy and federalism, and yet they were able to reach compromise. Someone who could not compromise at that same time was Benedict Arnold. His worldview was correct. And if you didn't agree with him, he was against you. And by the way, he began to believe that everyone was against him, so he switched sides. I think our politicians now, who are utterly uncompromising, have more in common with Benedict Arnold than they do with Jefferson and Hamilton.
0: Yes, I mean, that is what's so sad. And that would be an interesting piece you could write for The Wall Street Journal and see how many of those politicians said you hate mail. Because really, they are more like Benedict Arnold. I don't know that I ever thought we'd live to see that day.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you look at the Federalist Papers, which I know you've spent plenty of time reading both in college and law school. Federalist One is about civil discourse, right? I mean, Hamilton talks about the necessity of having a reasonable civil discourse about disagreements. Now, what I think is interesting is he had to write Federalist One because he was concerned that there would be and there was going to be civil discourse about the ratification of the Constitution. They ultimately had it and reached a consensus and, and and of course adopt the constitution. But that need for civil discourse was certainly something that was on Hamilton's mind and Madison's mind when they're writing the Federalist papers, but they managed to overcome it. The challenge for us nowadays is can we overcome it? As our founders did. And that's a challenge.
0: As people listen to this case file number seventy seven, senators decided at the end of twenty twenty three they weren't gonna run again. We still have the election year in twenty twenty four, but some people are actually leaving at the end of twenty twenty three. What would your advice be to leaders, and they don't have to just be politicians, but really leaders, because politics play into all kinds of companies, employee situations, PTAs, neighborhood associations. From all you've learned from studying about Washington and Benedict Arnold and the major deep political history that you have studied, what are some scintillating lessons you'd like to leave with people?
1: learn from the founders. And by the way, the founders were human beings, especially when you read my first book, George Washington was a human being. He made mistakes and he lied sometimes. And certainly no one is more flawed than Thomas Jefferson. So was Hamilton. So they weren't perfect. But at the end of the day, what you had just said, they set the greater good above themselves and also that the person across the aisle loves this country too. He or she, at the end of the day, wants what's best for this country. They went into public service, hopefully for a reason to serve the public. And the compromise does not mean forfeiting ultimately your principles. In fact, our constitution, when it was being negotiated, was a series of monumental compromises, some of which were some of the greatest and most insightful compromises in history, and some of which were horrible and led ultimately to the seeds of our partial destruction in the Civil War. But at the end of the day, they compromised for the greater good. There's a great number of people who would rather see a world more ruled by the Hamilton and Jeffersons of the world than the ultimate right and wrong people of Benedict Arnold. And those people coming into Congress, I would say, emulate Hamilton and Jefferson. Oh, and by the way, read about them, right? Go read about them because when you do, you find out. They didn't like the people across the aisle, but they worked with them.
0: Yeah, and that is what we've really lost in the United States. Well, I really hope that every member of Congress, every member of the U.S. Senate, and even people running for school board who want to be CEO of an organization, that they go out and get your book, Becoming Benedict Arnold. And just so you know, I rarely focus on a book in The Crisis Files, but this is such a great book, and your mission with history and bringing it into modern life is so amazing to me, and that's why I really wanted to feature you on The Crisis Files. Thank you, Steve Yock. You are an outstanding attorney, historian, and author. You can find Becoming Benedict Arnold yourself online or, as we love to do, go to your favorite neighborhood bookstore, support some local business. Today's Crisis Brief is brought to you by Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Number one. Every nation, including the United States, has a long history of politicians disagreeing with each other. It's not a call to arms, it's a call to find a way to compromise. Number two, learning more about our history and digging a bit deeper than what you learned in high school can give you better perspective on what is happening today. Number three, disagreement is normal. Disagreement over politics alone does not make someone your enemy. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is a proud sponsor of the Crisis Files podcast. The Minneapolis Regional Chamber is the area's most active business advocacy organization, playing a critical role in top issues impacting the region, including workforce development, education, housing, and transportation. Make your voice heard by becoming a member of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Learn more at mplschamber.com or Google Minneapolis Regional Chamber. Subscribe to, rate, and review The Crisis Files on your platform of choice. Catch up on all case files at thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on YouTube and Instagram at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.